0: Welcome to the Psych Central Show, where each episode presents an in-depth look at issues from the field of psychology and mental health, with host Gabe Howard and co-host Vincent M. Wales.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the Psych Central Show podcast. My name is Gabe Howard, and with me as always is Vincent M. Wales. And today, Vince and I will be talking with Dr. Judd Brewer, who is a thought leader in the field of habit change and the science of self-mastery. Judd, welcome to the show.
2: Thanks for having me.
1: Oh, it's our pleasure. Now, my first question is, when you say the science of self-mastery, can you kind of explain that a little? Because it's not a common phrase I think our listeners are familiar with.
2: Uh, it's simply put, it's really about understanding how our minds work. And you know, <laughs> it might be an odd phrase because a lot of people don't really have a good sense of what this
1: is. Fair enough. Fair enough. Now, when you say it's it's how our minds work, and I'm just going to ask the most open-ended question ever, just to make this the most exciting show. But how do our (laughs) minds work? I mean, it's kind of a loaded question, isn't it? It's the science of how our minds work. Really, that that's it. There's like a. I mean, can you kind of narrow it down maybe a bit?
2: Sure. And and that's it. Is wow. There's actually a whole lot here. Like you're talking about. I think of this more in terms of what drives us every day, and from a very simple standpoint and from a very pragmatic standpoint this is about habits you know about i would say 90 to 95% of our days driven by habits we're on autopilot we're mindlessly going about our thing and not even knowing it and so if we're going about on autopilot how can we possibly be in control of ourselves
3: i often wonder that that's a very good point so habits habits are sometimes great and sometimes awful How how do habits actually form? I've been told by some people that you know once you do a particular thing, x number of times, it becomes a habit, and it's no longer something you have to force yourself to do. I think they are full of baloney. But what's your what's your thought on that?
2: (laughs) I think, and I, I agree. You know, habits. Some habits are helpful. Some habits not so helpful. So if we think about it from a very simple standpoint, and this goes you know all the way back evolutionarily to the sea slug. So we learn. Habits in the same way that these slugs learn habits. They only have 20,000 neurons. We have like 86 billion. Yet there's this fundamental process that's similar. And it was actually set up to help us remember where food is. And on a very, uh, and this isn't overtly simplified, but just taking the core elements, uh, there are three things that we need to form a habit we need a trigger, a behavior, and a reward from a brain standpoint. So if we're out foraging for food uh, and we see some food, that's the trigger. We eat the food, that's the behavior our body sends this dopamine signal up into our brain that says, remember what you ate and where you found it. So that next time we're hungry, that new trigger of hunger says, oh, go back to where you found that food. It also helps us avoid danger. If we see some you know, saber-toothed tiger or whatever it is, we know to avoid that, uh, that spot in the future. So this was actually set up for a you know, very basic survival mechanism. Yet, it's really helpful in modern day. You know, imagine if we woke up every morning and had to relearn everything from walking to talking to tying our shoes to eating to whatever. We'd be exhausted by lunch. And
1: know. we'd accomplish nothing.
2: And we would accomplish nothing, absolutely. <laughs> so, so in some aspects, you know, this simple process literally helps us survive. But in other aspects, we're seeing the same thing get hijacked, uh, especially in modern society. Where there's, there's food that's engineered to be addictive, there's social media, there's everything that's kind of driving us to habitually consume all those things.
1: You know, it's interesting that you say that about social media because, uh, one, I, I, I happen to agree, and here's why I agree. About a year ago, I got a a Facebook message that said, you've posted every day for 350 days in a row. Congratulations, and it gave me some stars. And I thought, oh, well, that was neat. Okay, that's neat. I'm I'm, I'm on top of my social media game, yay. And then, uh, you know, a month or so later... I I was tired and it was near the end of the day. It was like nine o'clock and I'd realized that I really hadn't put anything on Facebook. I hadn't shared any blogs or, you know, any hints and tips about living with mental illness or anything like that. And I actually thought I I need to find my phone. I need to do something or I'm going to break my streak. It, It wasn't about reaching out. It wasn't about helping people. It was purely about not breaking my streak. Yes.
2: Getting your little pellet of a uh, shiny star. Good job! <laughs> you didn't break your streak. Yeah, fabulous.
1: I want to be fair. It didn't hit me at the time, but a couple of days later, I thought to myself, "Well, now wait a minute. I I didn't have anything good to offer my followers on that day. I, I didn't offer them anything bad. It was just, you, you know, you can find inspiration in everything. Not exactly my most engaging." quote but the the reward piece was that i could get this long running streak mm-hmm. and facebook would reward me by telling me that i'm i don't know i'm good i i just i thought that i was doing everything to win my mother's approval but it turns out that i'm only motivated by facebook's approval <laughs> <laughs> wow that's a great example <laughs> but this is this did create the 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 reward system yep. that in that case that was the reward and somebody probably studied that and figured out that you can get much more engagement on Facebook by telling the people who are doing this work that they have a streak and give them stars.
2: Yes. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's, it's so interesting you say this because I think of this term um, everyday addictions where, you know, when I was in residency training, training to be a psychiatrist, I learned the simple definition of addiction, continued use despite adverse consequences. And that was this big light bulb moment for me where I was like, wait a minute. Mm. <laughs> this, I can see that. This goes way beyond, you know, I was working with people with all sorts of, you know, cocaine, alcohol, heroin, you know, those types of addictions. I was like, wait a minute, this goes way beyond that. You know, on a, at a very deeper level, you know, this is about unhealthy habits around food, around shopping, around gaming or, or social media, like you're talking about.
1: We tend to look for giant negative mm-hmm. consequences like i don't think there's anybody that would disagree that you know somebody that was addicted to drugs or alcohol that's a habit that that is very bad it has major consequences and we need to break it especially when we see you know you, you can die from a drug overdose people have lost their their children their marriages their jobs and families from being addicted to alcohol but you're saying and please don't let me put words in your mouth that Everybody notices it when it's gigantic, but nobody notices when something's small. Like if I would ignore my wife in order to make that Facebook post. And uh, by doing that day after day after day, we can get to those, you know, certainly bigger negative results. And that's why we kind of need to, I'm going to say nip it in the bud uh, because I like that phrase, I guess. (laughs) Yeah,
2: Absolutely. This is kind of like I think of cigarette smoking as like a slow burn. You know, you don't get cancer the first time you smoke a cigarette. Otherwise, nobody would smoke a cigarette. So that's that slow burn where you get emphysema or cancer or it affects your skin over decades and years. And in the same way, there's that slow burn um, that happens when we are spending our time doing things that that aren't helping us. You know, I'm just thinking I was grading uh, my some assignment for one of my my classes at Brown this morning, and one of the students pointed out I have them like follow some of their own habits and one of the students was pointing out how she was spending like over an hour a day on some social media platform whether it's Instagram or something like that and she said oh my gosh I never realized I was spending this much time doing this thing you know kind of wasting my time and if so that's kind of like the slow burn of social media that's that's not that much I mean it doesn't necessarily give us cancer but it's kind of a You know, you, you can think of it as, well, if we're not, you know, if we're spending all of our time doing these, these things, how are we actually living our lives? You know, we are just on autopilot.
3: And it's not just social media. It's, it's watching television, you know, Netflix binges. I have something that I do five days a week for like eight or nine hours a day. And it just eats up my entire life. And one day I hope to quit. Then working is not an addiction; it's a requirement. Well, where's the term workaholic come from? Then
1: <laughs> I, I think that the issue is: is the term workaholic is when you do it past the point where you need to. For example, when they stop paying you, you leave. Uh, all joking aside, you are not a workaholic because you're working to survive. You mm, are a writeaholic because you you write, uh, but at the same time you get enjoyment from it. But this does bring up a good a good point. Uh, for for our guest When does something become a habit? I mean if it's destroying your life But if you enjoy it We all understand that maybe people Will go back to the drug and alcohol addiction they, they, Maybe they enjoy it and they don't realize It's destroying their life But how do you decide when a habit is bad? I, I, I think that a lot of people Watching somebody see the negatives Or potential pitfalls Before the person who is doing it I think you'd be hard pressed to find somebody smoking Who thinks that it's bad Otherwise they'd quit
2: or, or would they,
1: <laughs> you are correct. Am I oversimplifying? Can you sort of speak to that a little bit?
2: Yeah, this makes a lot of sense. And I've been, you know, I've been working with people trying to quit smoking for you over know, a decade now. And almost all of them come to me wanting to quit, but not being able to, you know, I'm thinking of a guy who'd been smoking 40 years, but you know, about a pack of cigarettes a day. And if you add all that repetition up in terms of that habit loop, he'd been repeating that thing about you know, 300,000 times. That's a lot of repetition. So I've yet to meet somebody that comes to me and says, you know, smoking is really good for my health. You know, I, I think I should smoke more. <laughs> you know, people that smoke know that it's not good for them and they might be doing it because, you know, for whatever reason, but most of the folks that come to me want to quit, but can't. So it sounds great that we could quit you know, and be like, wow, this is bad for me. I should quit. Uh, yet for most of us, these habits that are hard to break are hard to break for a particular reason. And that's because these, these habit loops have been reinforced so much. So, so here's the paradox. And this is where it gets really interesting. A lot of folks have come, they've tried to quit, whatever the habit is. So let's just use smoking as an example. But we can think of overeating. That's another one that we worked with a lot. Even anxiety, there are a- habits um, formed around anxiety with worry, thinking, and things like that. But people come in and they, their cognitive mind says, "Yeah, I want to quit smoking," and then they just can't do it. Now we think, "Well, why wouldn't they just quit? Why, why not just use your willpower to quit?" You know? Well, I think the only the only person that, or non-person that can do this is Mister Spock. You know, with that Vulcan, um, "I have no emotions. I just use logic, and I you know do these things." Um, and ironically, um, Leonard Nimoy uh, died from emphysema. Um, he was a chain smoker and spent a, a bit of the rest of his life really <laughs> trying to help people quit smoking. Um, so you can even see the irony there. Is these, you know, this, this willpower part of our brain, which driven, which is driven by the prefrontal cortex, it actually goes offline when we're stressed out. So the part that says, "Oh, you should quit smoking," it doesn't work when we're stressed. And that was something that I got really interested in as part of my research is, well, okay, if this willpower thing doesn't work so well, and this is how poorly it works. So if people who try to quit smoking, when they quit, the likelihood that they're going to stay quit a year later is 5%. You know, and, and the whole yo-yo dieting thing, a lot of people that – or I would say a majority of people that um, lose weight actually regain that weight or even bend some because their you know, they're, they're willpower – Gives out,
1: yeah, absolutely.
2: So I, I've really tried to understand, you know, what that process is and how it can actually hack the process, and that's what, um, you know, that's what my lab has studied. So, for example, we found that you can actually bring awareness in to that process, and awareness itself helps hack the reward-based learning system. And in in a very simple way, there's a part of our brain that's called the orbitofrontal cortex that actually uh, holds relative reward value, and so if Habitually, we're smoking because it holds some certain reward value, but we're not paying attention to that. Later, we come in and we say, "Okay, just pay attention when you smoke." The, I've had a you know this is the first thing we start with is pay attention when you smoke and they realize oh this stuff actually tastes like crap. I've never had a, a patient come in and say you know when we do that exercise and say, "Wow, I never realized how good tastes <laughs> you know, cigarettes taste." That's why they're menthol and they flavor them because it's like, <laughs> it actually tastes pretty crappy. And that actually decreases that reward value in the brain, so we're less excited to smoke in the future. And this is where, we, in one study, we got five times the quit rates of gold standard treatment when we used mindfulness practice, which is really you know, bringing awareness to what's happening uh, in and help people you know, use that to quit smoking. Uh, another example was that we help people pay attention when they're eating and bring awareness to that and see, you know, what's it like when I overeat? Oh, it doesn't actually feel that good. We got another study. This is actually with app-based mindfulness training. With a simple app, we got 40% reduction in craving-related eating. And so you can start to see if we really understand the process, if we can understand how this reward-based learning works, that it's driven by rewards, not the actual behavior. If We focus in on the reward, bring awareness to that. Our brain says, oh, wait a minute. Actually, I'm not that excited to do that anymore with pretty significant results.
3: That's incredible. There are so many things like that, you know, the realization that cigarettes don't taste good or or how much time we're spending on, on social media. I have a very good friend who was a, a smoker for years and years and years, and one day she realized just how much money she and her husband were spending on cigarettes and quit cold turkey and, I'm happy to say, has been quit ever since. Yeah.
1: That's how I dropped my coffee habit.
3: Sincerely, there's not even a joke there.
1: I realized that I was spending anywhere from 12 to twenty dollars a day on coffee it would just become a habit I wanted it in the morning before work I would go at lunch I would go on breaks I would go after work and you know at, at four five six dollars a pop tips etc mm-hmm. it just started adding up
2: yeah not very rewarding well
1: right and that was the other thing it it it, it was sort of just oh it's break time it's time right. for coffee. That, that was it. That was the connection. It wasn't a I want a coffee. It was it's break time. It's time for coffee. And this is what we do on breaks. After these words from our sponsor, we will be right back.
0: This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp.com.
3: Welcome back, everyone. We're talking about breaking habits with Dr. Judd Brewer. So when we're talking about being aware of things, it, it brings to mind mindfulness, right? So how does mindfulness play into this? Because I'm sure it must.
2: Yes. And, and there are a lot of different definitions of mindfulness out there. So I like really focusing in on you know how it it works with these mechanisms. So I think of mindfulness as two components. There's this awareness that so we're paying attention to what's happening but we're also not uh, bringing, we're not judging it. We're just being really curious. And what that curiosity does is help us open to learning as compared to saying, oh, that I shouldn't do that, right? The shouldn'ts, you know, you've probably heard this term, we should all over ourselves. Yes. <laughs> so when, when we come in and observe some bad habit and we're like, oh, I shouldn't do that, we're actually just closing down and beating ourselves up probably in another habit um, unto itself. So mindfulness is, is about bringing awareness to the habit and really understanding and, and kind of the first step is mapping out how our what our habit loop is. Oh, what was it that triggered me to eat? You know, was it anxiety? Was it stress? Was it boredom? And then, you know, that was that trigger. What am I eating and how am I eating this? Am I just mindlessly shoveling down a bunch of, you know, processed food? Um, and then the results, you know, what, what does my body feel like as I'm eating this? What does it feel like after I eat this? So bringing awareness to all those aspects of that habit loop and then really focusing in on that, the results. There's a simple question I have uh, folks in our Eat Right Now program um, really just ask themselves, which is, what do I get from this? As in, pay attention to the reward or non-reward as you're doing a behavior, whether it's smoking or eating or even getting caught up in a worry habit loop. Uh, and that helps their brain start to recalibrate. Oh, this isn't actually that rewarding. So mindfulness, bringing awareness, whether it's to mapping out the habit loop or bringing it in to help us see what those rewards or non-rewards are, is is a big aspect of this. And then the third piece is around just being really curious. So you guys tell me, what feels better, a craving or curiosity?
1: I would say that a curiosity feels better, but a craving I would probably respond to faster. But curiosity feels better. I I, I guess when I'm curious <laughs> about something, I have an interest in it, and interest is fun. Uh, craving mm-hmm. something, I
3: need it. I need it now. Yes, it's like the difference between starving. Oh my God, give me food! And hey, I wonder what that tastes like. I've never had that before.
2: So compulsive. So remember that definition of addiction. You know, continued use despite adverse consequences. So if we're hungry, we're going to eat. But if we're driven to eat. Habitually, or because we've formed a habit loop around, you know, stress eating, that's a whole different story. And so we can actually hack that our based learning system right in that moment when we have that craving. We can bring awareness to that and be curious. Oh, what's this? You know, just like you guys described, we're interested instead of driven. We can actually open up and see what this actually feels like. So it gives, which gives us the space to not only notice what craving feels like in our body but also gives us the space to see, oh, I'm about to automatically reach for this food. That's not required, that's not necessary. I can simply be here and be with this thing because curiosity is intrinsically rewarding itself.
1: Earlier in the episode, you talked about how apps are helping people change their habits and, and live better lives. And and I don't doubt this. There's apps for everything now. You know, ten years ago somebody told me they were using an app to lose weight. And I, I thought they were crazy. I was like, how can an app help you lose weight? But lo and behold, it it did. It was amazing. And and I myself have used it. And you've written apps. You're you're not just saying, hey, go find a random app. You you have actually researched, released, and continue to watch over. Uh, different applications to help people break bad habits. Can you talk about that a little bit?
2: Sure. The research that we were, I was doing, this is when I was at Yale uh, University back in, I think it was 2010, 11, 12, somewhere around there. We were really kind of digging in and understanding these mechanisms that I was just talking about earlier. And we were learning that, you know, I had this aha moment where I was thinking, well, wait a minute, my patients don't learn to stress eat in my office. So what if I could actually bring my office to them? Because this is actually set up as a context-dependent learning mechanism, right? We learn to remember, do a certain behavior in a certain context. So I uh, started developing, you know, back then apps were not, not very well known. Uh, Android had probably just started to come out with its thing that looked like a big old calculator that they called a, <laughs> a phone. <laughs> yeah, right? looked like right? a TI. So This was pretty early on. Uh, so we said, can we actually package these evidence-based trainings into apps and deliver this in a way that, that meets people where they're at? So, you know, we have used short videos, animations, and most importantly, in-the-moment exercises that can give people short, bite-sized pieces of mindfulness training. You know, they so they do a 10-minute training in the morning, and they actually build that into their every day. So the important thing here is we don't want to give people – something that's going to be another thing that they don't check off on their to-do list and then feel guilty about. It's about, you know, okay, take a little tidbit, you know, as you, as you start your day and then practice that as you go throughout your day. And, you know, we use 30 core modules for whether it's, um, you know, our eating program called eat right now is, you know, 28 core modules, the anxiety program Uh, that's called unwinding anxiety is 30 core modules, and so through those, you know, through that period of time, whether somebody goes through one module a day or takes a couple of months to go through this and really learn how their mind works, uh, they incorporate these practices into their everyday life, and, and we actually, you know, build this based on on the science of how you know how these habits form and how we can actually hack them.
3: So, if I was a user of one of the apps, what would I experience when I was going through one of these modules?
2: You'd start by seeing, you know, let's say it was your first day of the program, you'd see a short uh, video uh, that kind of, you know, like on day one, we actually explain this this habit loop piece so that people can really understand how their minds work. And then there might be a short exercise that you'd go through to make sure that you really, you know, understand and and can do the practice. And then it would give you a, a suggestion on how to incorporate that into your daily life. And then throughout the day, let's say it's our, our eat right now program, but the eating program, and you're trying to work with stress and emotional eating. For a lot of people, they've lost the ability to differentiate whether they're actually hungry or they're just eating out of stress or emotions or other triggers. You know, they can't differentiate physiologic hunger versus emotional hunger. So we actually have a little, uh, you know, Part of the app that's the stress test that they can that's actually a stealth mindfulness exercise <laughs> where it has them drop into their body and see you know check you know x y and z and algorithmically it can give them an idea to help them see okay am i actually stressed or am i hungry and then if they're hungry it gives them a suggestion on how to eat while they're paying attention so they can stop when they're full and they're not just automatically reaching for junk food um, it also has this thing that i think of as the panic button so whenever somebody has a craving um, they can click on this button, and it'll ha- it'll walk them through an exercise to help them write out a craving rather than getting sucked into it. And so, as they go through the program, not only are they understanding how their mind works, but they're getting these pragmatic uh, in the moment exercises as a way to really uh, work with these things, so that they're dr- back in the driver's seat rather than you know, in the back of the bus with their cravings driving them all over the place.
1: That is absolutely amazing. Now, you've you've mentioned multiple apps. Is there a place where we can find all of your apps? I, I'm sure that they're in the Android store, but, you know, what are they called? How do they, how do folks find them?
2: <laughs> the simplest way to find these is uh, just my website, drjudd.com. Uh, but the the smoking program is called Craving to Quit, um, and it, just cravingtoquit.com, I think, is its website. The Eat Right Now program, um, I think the website's goeatrightnow.com. And then the Unwinding Anxiety program is just unwindinganxiety.com. But you can find all of those through drjudd.com.
1: Judd, thank you for being on the show. Aside from drjudd.com, what are some other ways for people to reach you? And are they able to ask you questions if they have any?
2: Uh, Folks can follow me on Twitter at Judd Brewer and start a conversation that way.
1: Well, we appreciate it. Thank you so much. And of course they can hop over to the website and the show notes contains all of the information that you have. So if you're driving, please don't start writing furiously. Your safety is important to us at Psych Central. Thank you everyone for tuning in and remember that you can get one week of free, convenient, affordable, private online counseling anytime, anywhere by visiting betterhelp.com slash psych We'll see everyone next week.
0: Thank you for listening to The Psych Central Show. Please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you found this podcast. We encourage you to share our show on social media and with friends and family. Previous episodes can be found at psychcentral.com slash show. Psychcentral.com is the internet's oldest and largest independent mental health website. Psych Central is overseen by Dr. John Grohal, a mental health expert and one of the pioneering leaders in online mental health. Our host, Gabe Howard, is an award-winning writer and speaker who travels nationally. You can find more information on Gabe at gabehoward.com. Our co-host, Vincent M. Wales, is a trained suicide prevention crisis counsellor and author of several award-winning speculative fiction novels. You can learn more about Vincent at vincentmwales.com. If you have feedback about the show, please email talkback at psychcentral.com.
1: There are few words more misunderstood and misused than OCD. Imagine having unwanted thoughts stuck in your head all day no matter how hard you try to make them go away, and then having to pretend that everything is okay despite having to feel crippled inside. That's OCD.